And now it's time for Mind Body Health with your host, Dr. Marvin Trotter. Thank you very much, Eddie. We're going to have a very interesting show today about substance abuse. We have three people from the Dakai Recovery Center here. And I think everybody out there has someone who uh, needs their help. And they have a very professional group here in Ukiah. And I've been working with them a lot the last year. And I'm impressed. And I'm going to start out with Clover Martin, who's the director of the Ukiah Recovery Center. Good morning, Clover. Good morning. So, Clover, how did you get to Mendocino County? I was born in Mendocino County, moved away for a little bit, and decided to come on back. A lot of people do that, so it's a hard place to be. Um, also, we have uh, Tay Kastner and Blake Shoup here. Um, Blake is the uh, AODP treatment supervisor, and Tay is a counselor, also at Ukiah Recovery Center. So at, at first, I'm just going to ask Clover to talk to you about what the Ukiah Recovery Center is, because I think it's a much um, larger professional uh, organization than you may think. Yes, it is. And uh, Ukiah Recovery Center is a branch of Ford Street Project, which has been in the community since the 70s. Um, currently, Ford Street Project itself runs the community food bank. We have um, low-income housing and a family transitional program. And the stuff that we do over at Ukiah Recovery Center is substance abuse. So why don't you describe the substance abuse program for us, Clover? Absolutely. So we have um, a couple different things we do. We have outpatient. Um, we have withdrawal management, which a lot of times has been known as detox. We have a residential treatment, and not considered treatment, but one of the programs we provide is a sober living environment. Which is an apartment you can rent for some time after completing therapy. Yeah, it's a shared apartment. Yeah. Okay, so um, I'd like um, the group here to discuss what it's like for somebody to come to the Kai Recovery Center, describing a typical patient and um, their treatment of them. Yeah, I guess uh, Tay or Blake can start with this. Um, so I guess the typical patient looks like somebody, a lot of the time it's um, homeless that have struggled a lot for a long time with homelessness and just really reaching out for help. Um, we see really just a whole ray of people. It, they come from all backgrounds, all ages, and um, we keep it pretty diverse, or we see a lot of diversity. So the one thing that surprised me is that you serve the whole county. Yes. And also the thing that surprised me was the continuity of care that you can come in um, under detox, uh, stay for up to 90 days for therapy, and even and have a sober living experience afterwards. The other thing that surprised me was the amount and diversity of the substance abuse that goes on. Could you describe a typical patient because I think or or several typical patients? Yeah, so we uh this clover, we take anybody over 18, so just and we have people that are in their 70s that come to us. So any age range. Um and any drug or alcohol use. Uh so 
if you, you know, someone that's using just alcohol, um, coming in, need to detox, and then going through treatment for that. Or someone who's using a combination of drugs, um, alcohol and marijuana, or methamphetamine, or any of the opiates that are rampant in our county right now, fentanyl or Percocet or heroin, any of those things. So um, working in the emergency room, we have a, a place with, I want people to feel comfortable if they have an alcohol problem, uh, often Ford Street will send you to the emergency room where you'll have an evaluation and treatment and medications. Then you come back to the Cairo Recovery Center on two or three drugs. And what does a typical detox patient uh, go through in that first few days? Um, it really depends on the severity of their detox symptoms. Um, I don't know if Clover mentioned we are a non-medical detox so a lot of times um, going to the ER is part of their stay at Ukiah Recovery Center and um, often there is um, medication that's needed to get them through the detoxification process. Um, okay so I guess I'd like the audience to understand that I'm impressed with the type of people and the severity of the substance abuses that they do at Ukiah Recovery Center. Uh, I'm very familiar with what it's like to get somebody through 12 hours of detox for different things in the emergency department, but uh, having several days and becoming sober is quite a effort. What's the therapy like for them during this detox period? We don't um, really expect them to jump right in for the first seven days just because they're going through a lot at that time their body's going through a lot we want them to just be comfortable and relaxed and we all understand that it's a very very uncomfortable process during that time so we don't put a lot on them we just want them to eat and rest pretty much okay well that sounds good to me um um, so just for people to understand that if you do have problems there, they send you back to the ER or consult with one of the medical directors, such as myself, um, because you have, I'm, I'm always surprised at the number of people that go through detox at Ukiah Recovery Center and how few problems that you have. Yeah, I mean, when you're going through detox from different things, there's different <clears throat> symptoms. So alcohol is a lot of shaking, um, blood pressure. You know, the reason why you come to a detox place for alcohol is because there is a risk of seizures. So, you know, we're state licensed. It's a very strict process that we monitor and, you know, make sure that everything is going as it should. And like you're talking about, you know, we've been doing this for so long. And um, so we know the signs and the symptoms that you would need if they happen to get you know, more serious medical care than we provide there. So this is a good question that I've been talked talk to about, so I'm gonna let you all answer it. When should you come to Ukiah Recovery Center? When should you call 462-6290? You know, you can call at any time, whether you think you're ready or not, if you just have questions, um, we get a lot of family members calling you know, parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, you know, just wondering, like, how, how can I help my family member, my friend? It, you can always call and ask questions. Um, you know, there is definitely where, the part where 
you need to be ready to come into the center yourself. But as a family member or friend, you can always support the person that's coming, calling just to ask questions and say, you know, what what does the process look like getting them in? So can someone describe ready to me? Um, so that's a very good question. Um, I would think that when someone calls, that shows a sign of readiness. Um, they're looking for help. Um, they're aware that their substance use issue, whatever it is, um, has become problematic in their life, and um, they're wanting to make a change. Um, I was uh, reprimanded by Clover a couple of months ago <laughs> over my use of describing someone as I was surprised they had a substance abuse problem because they were so smart. And she looked at me and said, intelligence doesn't have anything to do with this. So can you describe substance abuse problems? Because I do think, you know, um, a lot of us are ignorant on the topic. Can we just say reprimanded in a very nice way? Yes, yes. Really yes no. She just looked at me and said, intelligence has nothing to do with it. She but it made concerned. me think of what my concept of drug addiction is and what reality is. And I would like you all to tell them what the reality of drug addiction is. Um, kind of like it was stated before, is it's very diverse. It doesn't matter what type of person, where they come from how much they have, how much they don't have, um, what age they are. It's really diverse and kind of one of the sadder things we see is the society has accepted alcohol so much and so a lot of people don't want to reach out for help um, for alcohol because it's just you have it on every corner on every block so and also we live in a county where weed is super acceptable but people don't really know that they can get help for that too so yeah it's it's really just a rainbow of people and it doesn't really matter where they come from or what they have I was surprised a friend of mine was telling me about her husband who who I worked with and you know he's a very smart guy uh, capable of, at his job, but had a terrible uh, alcohol problem, especially on the weekends, and finally went to treatment. Um, so I guess I'm uh, going to agree with you. I'm, you know, it doesn't matter how intelligent or what uh, socioeconomic background you come from. Um, if you're not, and um, a lot of people in AA say that they're not, they're not normies, and I don't know what, quite what to, to say that is. Or why why are some people so um, messed up from alcohol versus you know I can have drinks on Saturday night and then function the rest of the week? Um, alcohol is very accepted in the community. Um, I think in a lot of cases in our culture, um, you know, that's our way of having fun on the weekend, it, and many people do it and. Um, to cope with life and stress and all the things, right? Um, but then it becomes a problem when you're hungover Monday morning and you're having trouble getting to work and maybe you're calling in because you're sick. Um, yeah. How much of this is genetics? I saw an interesting study in medical school about they gave 14-year-old uh, kids two shots of wild turkey and the 
people that had um, alcoholism in their family metabolized the drug very differently than people who didn't have alcohol problems in the family, which were hard to find. I've seen a study where um, if both parents are addicts or the grandparents above them are both addicts, the child has a 60% chance of becoming an addict just because, like you say, the metabolism um, is different. And I think, too, from experience, it does have a lot to do with um, nurturing, you know, um, and learning from one's experiences. So it doesn't always happen like that, but there are studies out there. So there's a larger genetic component than I thought of. There also, um, trauma has a lot to do with addiction. Um, even just a little thing that... I mean, not little, everybody's trauma is different, but it's just a huge coping mechanism in how people can deal with their feelings. Yeah, I guess, I guess um, I'm uh, ignorant on why people drink so much, and maybe there's a lot of childhood trauma that um, I'm just unaware of. I think it's not only that can, that can be a factor, um, but if you, you know, we don't know the things that we don't know. So if I was never taught to cope with my feelings in a better way, you know, talking about them or just being able to feel them, having the right to feel, you know, we tell kids so often, you know, don't get angry about that or don't cry about that or, you know, act right when they really do not know how they're children. That's the whole point of parenting and you know all of that and so if we're never taught those things um, when we're introduced with our peer groups um, you know by into certain drugs or alcohol that sometimes um, becomes a bigger factor in our lives and you know like Blake was saying earlier we don't end up realizing it's a problem sometimes until it's a problem yeah in the ER it always amazed me that how people seem to hit rock bottom before they, you know, they've lost their family, they've lost their job, they don't have a car anymore, that it takes that kind of um, hitting the bottom before they get the idea that they need to change. Is that, um, am I, maybe I'm just seeing a small portion of the people when they come through the ER. I think you don't have to hit rock bottom. You know, you can decide what your own bottom is. Uh, is one of the things we say. I did want to put in the thing in people's ears that COVID has had a mm -hmm. tremendous effect on people's addictions. You know, being closed up in your house, just the stress of it has, we've, our overdose rate just in Mendocino County has increased horribly just during this time of COVID. Um, 100,000 people have died in the United States in the last 12 months of overdosing. And wine sales are up uh, quite a bit over this COVID thing. A lot of people, my daughter has a psychology degree and is very upset because one of her patients committed suicide. And she says depression is a huge issue right now. Absolutely. Okay. Tell me what treatment is like. So somebody comes in, they, they've decided they need help. You get them through the acute 
metabolic, physiological problems, but it seems like now they really need to address their issues. Okay, um, so treatment looks like after getting through the detoxification process, um, a client will be assigned a counselor that they meet with regular, regularly on a weekly basis, and if any issues arise, um, such as crisis, um, they'll attend groups throughout the week. Um, they'll have staff on duty 24-7. Um, if they have any problems, they can come talk to us. We also um, provide a chance for them to learn how it is to be on their own, um, essentially while they're in a safe environment, like doing chores and showing up for themselves in groups and um, just being part of a community. So we try to get them back to the living basis and doing it in a safe way before sending them off. Because I guess they have a very abnormal world before they come to see you. Oh yeah, it's hard to jump back into a quote-unquote boring life. <laughs> so tell me, AA seems to be so successful to some extent because of the relationships or talking about things, being in a group of, being in a room with a group that also have similar problems. Um, tell me what it's like to have a group, be in a group at Ukai Recovery Center at 462-6290. I always tell the groups, um, whoever's in that group at that time, they were meant to be together and do this process together. We've, over the past year-ish or so, we've, just since I've been there, because I've only been there for a year, we've seen really, really good groups. Um, you know, and some people are serious about it, and those are the, the aha moments are what makes us come to work every day and really happy being counselors what's an aha moment when it's hard to describe i guess but it's when you see somebody and the light clicks of where they're learning how to cope with their feelings in a really healthy way and um opening new parts of themselves that they didn't know was possible because they shut them down for so long due to drugs and alcohol. I guess you're sort of wandering in the desert without uh, much positive things when you're looking for more alcohol or drugs every day. Oh, yeah. So, um, so how long do you do therapy? What, and, and when does somebody know? I was very pleased when uh, Medi-Cal changed uh, therapy to where there's a chance to getting 90 days of therapy instead of 30 days of therapy because of the success of being sober after goes up the longer you're in therapy. Um, absolutely. Uh, success rates increase with um, more treatment time. Um, I always advocate uh, for clients to do at least 90 um, in addition to outpatient afterwards I think is really essential um, for success to have that continued care um, and for the client to go out into the real world but still have the support of going to a group a couple times a week and having a counselor to talk to when problems arise. So do do the groups get better the longer you're in the group? I wouldn't say they get better, I would say they get different. You know, the more you're there and, you know, addiction is a brain disease and the reason they call it that is because, I mean, it doesn't just affect your brain, but it 
but it affects every part of your body. Um, but it, it really changes the way we think. And so the longer you have off your drugs or alcohol, hopefully the more clearer you're, you'll be able to think. And so the longer you're in the groups, which is why Blake was saying, you know, we, we always try and encourage someone to stay the full 90 days, you get more time. You know, most uh, an, on an average, the people that come to us start using drugs from age 9 to 12. Wow. So what did you just say? That they start using around the age of 9 or to 12, the age range. So you're asking someone who's, let's say, that the average age of someone that comes into treatment is 25 to 35. So they've been using, somebody uh, do the math, yeah. <laughs> 15 to yeah. 30 years, right, or however long, probably not 30 years, but... But even the people that are older. So you're asking them to fix their whole life in 90 days? No, it, it doesn't work like that, which is why he's saying, you know, outpatient. If this is a continued journey that people hopefully will stay on. It doesn't fix in 90. You know, the, one of the things that I try to tell people in the ER was um, try to get past the guilt and think about the genetics and the coping mechanism and the childhood they've gone through or whatever. Because I think a lot of, you know, society looks at people like this as, well, you, um, I guess I can't curse on them. Um, you have a moral failing. Yeah, it's a moral failing. Yeah. Where, um, and when I hear people talk about this, I used to ask them, oh, you think it's a moral failing? Okay, and I would write out a prescription out for Percocet for 30 days, where they could take Percocet twice a day for 30 days, and then come tell me, um, how their moral failing was when they when they want you know when they were upset how bad it was that they didn't have their Percocet. Nobody ever took me up on that, but I think people don't understand the years of addiction. This isn't a moral failing; it's a physiological, you know, disaster. Um, yeah, addiction is definitely a medical disease. I don't think anybody um, the first time they drink alcohol, say at 12 years old is thinking, you know, I want to abuse alcohol for my, the majority of my life. Um, addiction is cunning and baffling, and um, we don't get to decide if we're an addict or not. Yeah, um, um, you know, even my own family and extended family, um, I've been surprised how difficult a subject this is, that I don't really care how much money or counseling or... Um, positive things you could do in life, how um, much of a disease this is, much like diabetes, that you have to sort of deal with on a daily basis. It, it's funny you use uh, diabetes because I've actually referred to addiction um, being very similar to a disease such as diabetes. Um, and I think there's a common mistake that you can do 30, 60, 90 and that you're all better, and that's just not the case. Um, addiction is similar to a disease like diabetes because you have to treat it for the rest of your life. Um, 30, 60, and 90 is just the beginning. Um, you have to continue to work on your addiction just like someone who's a diabetic would need to continue to take insulin or whatever medication they're prescribed. Yeah, it's um, every single day. Every time you wake up, it's all day. Some days are better than most, but um, you have to look at it like it's 
something you have to deal with for the rest of your life for sure. Um, so another aspect of your program here is the SLE program, which I think is unique. And I, I want people to really realize that the Ukiah Recovery Center in Ford Street, the housing, the food bank, um, tell us about SLE. And then I want to ask you about the housing for family uh, issue that Jackie told me about. What's SLE? SLE stands for Sober Living Environment. Um, and that's something that, like I said earlier, is not considered treatment, but it's an absolute necessary thing in someone's journey when they're working to change their life, to have a safe place to land after the 30, 60, 90 days of intense treatment where you can, you know, you know for a fact that everyone living in your house is sober, that hopefully, you know, they're on the same kind of journey forward. And so they can rent an apartment there for a year and a lot of them work at different places in town? Yeah, um, you know, we make it super affordable because we want people to be able to afford on almost a minimum wage job. Um, you know, food is provided. There's staff there all the time in case you have some hiccups, you know, early on. We do medication management still in the sober living. Um, there's goal planning, you know, kind of a little uh, quality check on are you still moving forward in your on your journey. Um, tell us about the family housing unit. I thought that was a pretty cool thing that you do. Um, the Family Transitional Housing Program, um, I don't know too much about. Uh, the director for that program is Drew Yakamini hare um, And you can call 462-1934 and talk to her or Charles Robinson. Um, but it is, it is a place where um, homeless families can go. Um, they are asked to pay a portion of their income, but if their income is zero, I believe like the portion is probably zero, but um, there is meals provided and it's a great safe environment for homeless families. You have your own area, your own room, and um, yeah. It's, that's pretty cool. We're gonna start taking calls in just a minute or two. Uh, if you'd like to call one of the three people on the radio here, call 707-895-2448. 895-2448 and it, the other thing I'd like the community to understand that is it isn't just your relative um, I'm shocked that some 70% of the money that we spend at the four hospitals on the Medi-Cal program goes to substance abuse and rather than waiting till somebody comes in from a fatal car accident or throwing up blood from their GI bleed or having a stroke from their methamphetamine use uh, come to Ukiah Recovery Center, 462-6290. All right, we'll start taking calls. Caller, you're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. So I really appreciate um, this conversation, and um, I wanted to bring up um, in my um, experience, I, it seems that um, a lot of drug, drug and alcohol uh, usage, especially with children, is uh, a kind of uh, self-medication. 
um, and a lot of uh, uh, self-medicating with drugs and alcohol is oftentimes um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a young person's life, uh, their situations are not being recognized for what's going on with that child, either within the system or within the family. And then I wanted to find out if your guest could speak to that, but also speak to um, uh, how does their program um, work with relapse, uh, even after long-term sobriety. Um, and I'll take okay. to what you have to say about those things on the air, please. Okay. So... Um, I think that Tay talked about childhood stuff before, if you want to talk about that some more, and then tell us about relapsing. Um, yeah, so I completely agree. Um, trauma, they call it intergenerational trauma, and it affects and runs down to each child, and it's unfortunate because some people don't really learn how to cope until it's too late. Um, so then that kind of pushes it onto the children and, um, it's just a vicious cycle. So breaking the cycle is just one of our biggest goals. Um, and then what was the other question? Uh, relapse. Oh, relapse. Um, it's just, it's a difficult thing, you know, um, it's, I think I've seen a lot of it being in the environment. A lot of people go back to the people they love, their families. Um, and unfortunately, not everybody in the family has dealt with their own personal issues or their own addictions because they don't see it the same as somebody who's just hit rock bottom, quote unquote, you know. So, like I said, it's just a vicious cycle. So one of the good things I want to, we know we have the Alex Rovas Center and after school, there's an ACES program, which is, um, I forget what the ACE stands for, but it's children with... Um, oh, no, of course, I'm not going to remember. It's the Childhood uh, sur Survey. Talks about the anyway, things that have happened in your childhood. Right. So kids take a survey, and if you have things like an alcoholic father or... Adolescent child... Adverse childhood. Adverse childhood ex experiences. Or yeah. Yes, adverse childhood that, that, that's trauma. That's correct. ACE. <laughs> anyway, there's an ACE program at Grace Hudson for different kids in the community. And I do think that um, one of the things that my daughter would talk about is how important it is for a community. Um, she showed me a paper once that said it doesn't matter if you grew up in Hell's Kitchen in New York or Hollywood that you need a mentor in your life and positive things to do. And anybody that becomes a school teacher or makes something out of their life, they need a mentor and positive things to do. And I think that's why you will be hearing more from me about why Ukiah and Mendocino County ought to do more for elementary school kids. Because if you don't have your act together and doing well, by the time you go to junior high, things usually don't turn out well. And that's why I think the Boys and Girls Club and different community things and are uh, so important. So tell us a little bit more about relapsing. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll speak on that. Um, so relapse is really common um, for someone to go through a treatment episode and go out into the real world and figure out that they can't just have one beer casually on the weekend, that it turns into um, a gallon of vodka by the following week. Um, and there's also a lot of guilt and shame 
um, around relapse and it's often difficult for a client to come back to treatment um, it can be very difficult um, to work through that barrier um, so yeah relapse is really common um, and it can also be part of the learning experience so tell me about uh, sponsors and AA and your after 30, 60, 90 day programs because I've heard having a sponsor is a big deal you know, uh, 12 Start programs are one of the things that we greatly encourage. Um, it's a great source of support and, you know, do whatever, if you're doing whatever you can in the program, getting a sponsor is a huge part of that. So we, we encourage all of that. You know, there's a reason why AA and NA have been around so long. It's because they work. And the outpatient program, I guess, if you can do the outpatient program that you do, do a lot of people from the same group come back to outpatient therapy? Is that singular or group outpatient therapy? Outpatient has groups. Um, our outpatient has three groups a week and then an individual session with a counselor. Yeah, so both. Wow. So you can actually go to Kai Recovery Center, 462-6290, and go through the 30-60-90 day program and you can see the same counselor that you had in the, those programs as an outpatient? Sometimes, yeah. You might get a different counselor and outpatient, but yeah, absolutely. It, cool. There's definitely, like you said, a continuity. So um, describe a difficult patient. Tell me the patients that you have the most difficult trou troubles with. Or maybe that's not a fair question. It's definitely not a fair question. <laughs> there are no difficult. Um, you know, I would say, um, from a compassionate point of view, um, every client has their own difficulties um, and their own barriers they need to work through. I would say that normally somebody doesn't come into treatment because they have their life together. They may have anger issues. They may be struggling with mental health, um, and all those things um, can be difficult. And challenging but it's part of the recovery process to learn how to cope with those things without the use of substances tell me a little bit about mental health because I think that's another one of the things that have just um, people push off and don't address in our society mental health is a very difficult thing if you have bipolar disease or any sort of mental health um, we're trying to do a medical clinic um, uh, with the Ukiah Recovery Center every other week to make that part easier. But mental health is a difficult thing to do no matter who you are in the county. Absolutely, and any kind of drug use exacerbates and changes mental health. Um, like I said earlier, it affects your brain. And, you know, there are times when long-term use, when you stop using, that you may not come back to the same person that you were before you started using. I guess one thing I'd like people to understand is the reason that I think Ukiah Recovery Center is so great, I have a personal close family member that spent four months in jail for resisting arrest for a DUI and has been sober for 10 years. And somewhere in his jail time, uh, they offered him a, a recovery center type situation that he went to for two months, and it made all the difference in the world. We have one more phone call. Good morning. You're on the line. Good 
Good morning. Thanks for the show today. I'm wondering if you can address um, services for uh, families of loved ones that have addiction problems. So, um, you know, if there's anything like Al-Anon or NAMI in our community. Uh, great. You That's can kind a great of talk question. about ways that families can get help. That's a great question. Okay, tell us what if if you're the family member suffering through someone's addiction, what can you do? Yeah, addiction is definitely a family disease. Um, you know, I know in historically we have had Al-Anon in our community. Unfortunately, I off the top of my head, I don't know if the meeting is still active. COVID affected so many meetings and things like that. Um, so I'm not sure if it started back up. Um, but we do have NAMI here that always... Um, What's that? Uh, North... It's not North America. It's a mental health alliance. Okay. Um, and is there a place for families to go to talk to somebody about their family member's addiction? We do have NAMI in the area. I'm not sure exactly where it is. Okay. Um, but I would say always reach out. Reach out for support because your family member's addiction is absolutely affecting you too. You right. know, we, you know, if you want to liken it to learning to walk on eggshells, sometimes that's what ends up happening. You know, you have changed the way you behave to, um, you know, deal with the way that they behave. And so learning to change that is also part of the thing, like Tay talked about earlier, when you go back to your family after your treatment, hopefully you've changed, um, and they might not know all the ways that you've changed. So hopefully the whole family is getting some sort of help. So if you want to ask the group a question, call 895-2448, 895-2448. I'm still uh, surprised, or not surprised, um, about the readiness for people to do this. Is there something that the family can do to help people get ready to come to the recovery center? Because I was very exacerbated with my family members because I thought I was talking to myself blue in the face. Um, but is there any uh, type of thing that works better than something else? Um, well, I would say one of the first things would to be uh, discontinue enabling your family member. Mm -hmm. um, it's often the case um, if you've ever had a family member that's struggling with addiction, you don't stop loving them. You don't stop caring for them. So oftentimes it's hard um, to not enable them. Um, enabling could look like a multitude of things. Um, continuing to let them live in your home while they're using substances. Or do, do we have another caller? Yes, let's take the call and then get back to this. I think it's important. Caller, caller, you're on the air. Do you have a yeah, hi. I just wanted to let you know that there are Al-Anon meetings online on Zoom, and there are also some in person. So it's a great way for family members to get support and um, and help the recovery process and and you know because sometimes we overdo it how do you, family how do you members. that sounds great how where do you go yeah. on the web just uh google alanon uh, so a l uh dash a n o n and then you will find local meetings they are listed online okay um a l dash a n o n 
Yes, okay. and it's a wonderful program. It's a 12-step program, and it, it, it really works well. Great. Thank you very much for the phone call. Thank you. Could you go back to enabling? Because I see that all the time in the ER, that I would not uh, be helping somebody so much when they are showing no effort on their own. Um, enabling is kind of really hard, and it comes in all array of things, but I guess a typical way would be looking at it like letting the person come and destroy your house and take everything from you. It's kind of you have to love them from a distance. That's how you don't enable. Um, it doesn't do anything good for them to get help if they still are, I guess, financially supported. Um, and it, it's it's hard because you do want to love them and then cutting them off, you, I guess, look at it as tough love. You know, unfortunately, that's how we have to do it. And that kind of pushes people, I think, to get ready, like we talked about earlier. Tell me what tough love and love from distance talk means. Um, so I'm going to refer back to what you mentioned earlier about hitting rock bottom, and that could be a factor. Um, the enabling could be preventing someone from hitting that rock bottom that they need to motivate them to come into treatment. And what I mean by that is um, if somebody still has support out there, such as a place to wash their clothes or someone who will feed them or give them a ride or buy them a pack of cigarettes, um, you're con continuing to enable that person um, to hit rock bottom, which might be what's necessary, even though it feels awful, right? Because you love that person, if it's a family member, to get to that point in their addiction that they are like, I need to change something. Because they can't continue on their usual course. Correct. Um, this sounds very complicated. And it really is quite a, a psychological effort that you all put in at Ukiah Recovery Center to take people that have these um, issues. And I guess the issue that I want people to listen to the radio to realize is how that you have to be compassionate and love these people. But there's a lot going on here genetically, coping mechanisms-wise, and mental health. And this isn't; these aren't trash people to be pushed off to the side. Um, I can't tell you how productive people become when they have the aha moment and become sober. They're very productive citizens. We have one more call. You're on the air. Go ahead with your call. Okay, I think we dropped them, or they dropped us. I guess there's a seven-second delay. Um, What's the best advice for you have a family member? So one of your family members is at the recovery center. Um, we'll try this call one more time. Go ahead. Hi, yes. Um, speaking as somebody who's an um, alcoholic in recovery for 12 years now, um, I just have a question. Living here on the Mendocino Coast, it's a place where I started my um, alcohol consumption, and I'm just wondering, do you guys offer any sort of outreach programs to local schools? There's a lot of pressure um, for teenagers, you know, to, of course, start smoking weed, drinking, and trying other things, and I'm just curious if you guys offer anything like that for local community. Good question. 
Gracias. Unfortunately, our company doesn't, our nonprofit does not. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure there are other things on the coast that might do that. I know um, the county, Mendocino County, has some youth programs in the schools, um, but uh, our focus is over 18 adult treatment. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, um, I'm sorry we don't have a better answer for you. Um, I do would like you all to discuss why does everybody think getting stoned every day is this harmless, no problem deal in Mendocino County? Um, it's become ingrained in our culture. It's a normality. Um, What's normal about being messed up every day? People are looking at it like a medicine and kind of putting together their own quote-unquote research, but they're not really realizing that um, anything can be abused and marijuana is definitely being abused and then you don't really know once you get to a point of being stoned all day you don't really know which way is up or down um, it's just super culturally acceptable right now even maybe it's just getting up there um, especially people in the younger age range okay. we'll take another call caller you're on there Hey, uh, yes, it's a fabulous show. Uh, thank you very much for tackling this uh, very difficult subject. Uh, I'm uh, 81 years old. You know, I raised six kids. I've been living in Covalo dealing with uh, drug and alcohol abuse, uh, and it can get really ugly, especially when meth is brought into the equation. But... Uh, I come up with a solution. <laughs> okay. And uh, just been having a horrible time uh, getting you know any real support. And the solution is handcraft. Is is uh, getting people involved in making things. Uh, and uh, I've uh, <laughs> I've been teaching wood shop. You know, I'm in school. I have kids whose fathers are in jail. Uh, on drugs and alcohol, and uh, but but there's something that happens in the wood shop because I'm the older mentor that can guide these children into doing something creative with their hands. But but getting my foot in the door uh, of the educational system, uh, you know, and this. <laughs> industrial arts uh, vocational education was a really a curriculum designed for the blue collar person the person that was okay. not going to university okay and i'm going to i'm going to thank you for your thank you for your phone call i'm going to take it a little bit further in that i think that uh wood shop and what you said you're the mentor i think again kids need mentors and positive things to do and you're the ace in doing that, mentor and positive things to do. I'll tell you another thing that I'm so supportive of soccer. I read this fascinating paper that said uh, girls who do soccer for three years have like half the domestic violence, divorce rates, substance abuse rate as girls that don't do soccer. And my daughter tells me that it's because of the community and sense of self and sense of body and that you aren't. Um, you just have a very different uh, 
view of yourself. And I don't know that that's, and I would presume it's not just soccer, but it's woodshop, soccer, having uh, those things in your life. I don't know. Would you all comment on that? Yeah, I think, you know, we describe addiction as a mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual disease. And so you need to treat it with those same types of treatments. So in our curriculum, we incorporate um, handwork, which is anything from beading to knitting um, and those type of things. We have a huge garden, organic garden, and we have an amazing vocational instructor that, um, you know, takes the, the client's help out in the garden but really they're helping themselves because getting your hands in the dirt and you know coming back to yourself is an important part of it you know we go on outings to do physical things um, incorporating we incorporate 12-step uh, meetings into our curriculum you know and really that's a spiritual program so all those things needed to be are needed to treat the thing that affects us in all those ways <clears throat> So I think wood chop, gardening, planting redwood trees, that's what I do, little seedlings. I think all of that is very much important to have this sense of community. We have um, less than 10 minutes to go. What issues would you all like to bring up that we haven't talked about or that you would like to emphasize if somebody hasn't listened to the whole hour? What are the things that you want people to think of besides 462-6290? You know, um I, I think that's the, one of the most important things is the way to access treatment, um, 462-6290, or the county phone number to access county um, substance use services, which is 472-2637. Um, <clears throat> and we, uh, Mendocino County is in a partnership with seven other counties through Partnership Health Plan. And so we accept, you know, from Mendocino, Humboldt, Modoc, uh, Shasta, Siskiyou, Lassen, Solano, Solano. and um, if you're from our neighboring Lake County, you can access services through their substance use um, behavioral health department, which is 994-7090. So, um, you know, I think the important first step is just to make the call. Let us help you try and figure out how you can access services, so. I would like to add too, just in case, because um, I've seen it be kind of confusion. You, it doesn't matter if you used a week ago or that day, you can still call and get help. Okay. Um, I guess I would like to add, um, you're not alone out there. Don't be afraid. Give us a call. Um, maybe we can help you out. I guess the message that I would like people to realize that is all has been a learning experience for me is there is so much genetics to this childhood trauma, uh, mental health issues that I wish people, rather than feeling guilty and ashamed and, um, you know, you have a bright future if you're sober. I can't tell you um, how different life is for the family members that I've been involved with. Uh, for being uh, sober, the world is a very different place. You know, I think in almost every group we talk about that is that, um, and I've said it before, like you're not the one person in the, not I don't know how many people are in the world, <laughs> nine trillion, whatever it is. Um, I might have overshot that number, but uh, nine billion. Nine, I think. Okay, nine billion. Uh, you're not the one person in nine billion that has experienced 
the feeling that you're experiencing. So there are other people out there, like Blake said, you know, give us a call. Give yourself the chance to get some help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. people wouldn't throw you out the door if you're diabetic. Uh, there's things to help diabetics. Well, there's things to help people with addiction. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about fentanyl and meth? Because I had a good neighbor of my sister-in-law, brilliant, not uh, very nice, hard-working woman who OD'd on fentanyl, which was in her heroin. I understand that fentanyl is in everything now. Um, I would say I've seen a decrease in meth use and an increase in fentanyl since I've been a drug counselor and I started in 2017. The um, the culture of drug, drug use has changed and uh, fentanyl has became very prevalent um, and OD is rampant. Um, I've had clients of my own that have passed away due to fentanyl. It's a hundred times stronger than morphine. And it drives me nuts that apparently I had a guy that I resuscitated and gave Narcan to who fell out of a truck in front of the emergency room a couple of months before I quit who who was thinking he was taking, I think, Xanax. And it was laced with fentanyl. And the guy quit breathing on me. Unfortunately, he did it in front of the ER and was fine. But um, fentanyl's in everything now. Um, and it... Uh, you hear tragic stories all the time. And, and it's extremely highly addictive. And you're, like you're saying, they're lacing meth with it. There's been people that have said they laced marijuana with it. So, it, uh, you know, if you learn anything from this, don't trust your drug, drug dealer. Right. Uh, you're not drinking Lone Star. I thought the, my issue when I was growing up in Texas was Lone Star or Pearl Beer. You know, which tasted better? It was a difficult you know, uh, we only have two minutes to go. So methamphetamines um, is a terrible addiction as well. Um, I tell people don't ever try methamphetamine because you try it once, you want it a second time. I mean, any meth uh, enlightenment? Um, I think it goes kind of back to the coping skills. It's a really good drug to help you escape reality. Um, you don't want to feel anymore. It takes your, all your feeling away. And it's, that's what becomes so addicting. But that's not the way to do it. Um, so we're going to close here in a second. I'm sorry we can't take more phone calls. But you've listened to an hour from the Ukiah Recovery Center. And I just want people to realize that um, wherever you want to go, you can go to the county at 472-2637. The Recovery Center, 462-6290. Start somewhere. Um, give yourself a chance. And you have a very competent, uh, large group of people that are wanting to help you. And they work very hard at it. And they'll take you as an individual and help you a lot if you'll just let them have a chance. This podcast was produced by KZYX-FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, local community radio from Mendocino County, California. If you enjoyed the program and you'd like to hear more, in Northern California, you can tune in anytime to KZYX at 90.7 FM in Philo, KZYZ at 91.5 FM in Willits and Ukiah, and 88.1 FM in Fort Bragg.
If you're listening to this podcast from further away, we also stream live 24 hours a day at kzyx.org, where you can hear our eclectic range of locally produced music, public affairs, and news, along with daily state and national news programs and breaking news. You can also find out how to become a member to keep KZYX on the air. Thank you for listening.